Chesapeake Offshore Sailing Services, helping sailors win the hardest race, the race to the starting line. Hi, this is Brian from Chesapeake Offshore Sailing Services, here again with Offshore Sailing Today. We are out and about in Annapolis, Maryland. Uh, it's a beautiful Wednesday evening. Uh, no sailing tonight. The races have all been called off due to the huge amount of debris in the Chesapeake Bay right now. There are logs. Uh, I saw a plastic 55-gallon drum. Uh, all kinds of debris in the bay bobbing around. Uh, so just a little bit too dangerous for the boats and the props. So we're no, no sailing today. I wanted to talk a little bit about wind vane self-steering. We kind of got into that a little bit in the last podcast. And I wanted to talk a little bit more about wind vanes, what they're good for, when they're good, and how to optimize their use. I've used wind vanes for uh, most of my sailing offshore, uh, in the cruising at least. Obviously racing, you're hand steering when you're in a crewed race as opposed to single hand race. But when we used our Aries, you know, there's a lot of old Aries units out on the market. You can find them under a stack of old spinnaker poles and things like that in a secondhand store or mini surplus down Fort Lauderdale, Florida, um, Bacon's here in Annapolis. There are, you know, a few of these things running around. And in terms of buying a brand new one, there's a few different options. Fleming, the monitors are sort of one of the most popular brands out there. You can see a few different, I mean, there's probably eight different versions of the things running around at this point. So if you're a cruiser, if you're on a limited budget, uh, you know, one of the things I want to talk about a little bit about, I haven't talked about yet, is uh, cruising on a budget. Uh, we did our cruising when we were in our, I was in my 20s when I started cruising. I think I was 26 at the time and, you know, went right up into my 30s and now I'm 40 and land-based. But, you know, all that time that we were cruising, we were cruising on a severely tight budget. So watching every dime, uh, a brand new $3,000 monitor wind vane was not in the uh, in the cards for us. So, uh, I, you know, before I left, I purchased one of these used Aries from a, a shop up in Maine, I think it was. I had them ship it to me. And, you know, came in a, just a giant box of parts and uh, online you can look up the Aries wind vane. And, and one of the nice things about the Aries is that of all the different older wind vanes, the Aries were one of the strongest. The, the tubes on them, they're aluminum construction. The tubes on them are fairly massive. And uh, they are almost, almost an identical design to the current brand of monitors, which haven't changed in a really long time. The monitors are made of stainless steel and are probably, if you're going to buy a new one, I, I would say the monitor would be probably one of the best bets out there uh, just because they've been used for so, so long and are so reliable. One of the, one of the weaknesses of the monitors is that uh, if you back up in anything or somebody hits you, those stainless steel tubes can uh, bend up into a little bit of a pretzel. Uh, I'm not saying they're not strong. They're certainly very strong, but they can't take being backed into a dock. And uh, they're a little bit less robust, I think, than the Aries. Now, the Aries have a weakness in that the casting that those huge aluminum tubes go into can sometimes crack. But in any case, a monitor is, even a very old used monitor is going to go for a premium. A used Aries, you're going to probably be able to pick up for $800 to $1,200. Now, why are they cheaper? Well, they kind of look nasty. They're 
you know, that aluminum is going to be all faded and oxidized. Uh, and one of the things that was the sort of the downfall of the Aries, now you can buy, there, there's a current version of the Aries that's slightly different than what they had in the past. Uh, so somebody is selling them, but uh, I'm talking about the used ones here. But in terms of the Aries, um, their big downfall was the corrosion on those aluminum fittings. The aluminum made them lighter, relatively speaking. Uh, God forbid if they had made these things in stainless at that kind of thickness, they'd weigh a ton and be massive. But uh, the parts would corrode, and the bearings, uh, which were in the most part, were uh, old Delrin bearings, D-E-L-R-I-N. Um, and those would swell over time, binding things up. Not a lot of needle bearings in these things. These were just sort of plastic bearings that uh, would absorb water over time and swell up. And so as time goes on, these things get stiffer and stiffer and they just stop working. Because for any wind vane self-steering, it's all got to be very loose. There's got to be a low amount of friction. Some of the newer ones will have needle bearings and things like that in them. But for an Aries... Really, what you just need is a lot of slop in those bearings. Uh, you know, it's got to have to have a little bit of room to wiggle around. So what I've done over the years, uh, and what I did to get my uh, Aries working, because I basically installed it on the boat and did as best I could, and the damn thing just wouldn't work. It was, it wouldn't steer. I was confused as to if I had installed it incorrectly, if I had got something backwards. I had thought that I had taken it all apart. There's actually um, a, a website online, a very old website, that has some of the instructions for rebuilding one of these things. And I had rebuilt pretty much everything that they said to pull apart and, and clean out and clear out. And the one item that they said, well, this thing never really, this bearing really never goes bad, was the one that ultimately was the last bearing that was making this thing not work properly. And that was one of the bearings up um, in the the wind blade holder, the wind vane blade up on the top. There's a counterweight and a blade on top. And if you go online, you can see what these things look like. In any case, it took a bit of doing. A sledgehammer, gear puller, pulled the whole thing apart and basically reamed out some of those bearings either with some jeweler's files, you know, just basically removed some of that excess plastic so that these things had uh, enough room to wiggle. And the main bearings, uh, which hold the blade, were really tight. I mean, I had to, I had to drive that out with a sledgehammer. And, and how I did that, and I did this all on a beach, by the way, in Mexico, in Isla Mujeres. I pulled this thing apart on the beach. So not a lot of, lot of, lot of, not a lot of equipment, not a lot of power, no power, just hand tools. And so what I did with the uh, main bearings was I took a knife a very sharp knife and I just gouged out the bearings just basically scraped and scraped and scraped and then smooth that out with some of those jewelers files and put it all back together and and lo and behold once that was all broken apart and put it back together again the thing worked beautifully and this steered us for thousands upon thousands of miles I mean you know we're talking about something like 10 to 15,000 miles for our entire trip you know I'd probably say eight eight or nine thousand miles with the wind vane self-steering so it worked beautifully they work in conditions that are um that would be exhausting to hand steer now my boat i was fortunate and if you are going offshore especially short-handed there aren't a lot of boats that have a tiller but in terms of wind vane self-steering a tiller is great because there's just far fewer linkages far fewer friction in the system you're basically the only friction you have is the pulleys that are getting the control lines to the tiller 
Uh, and also for offshore cruising, you can just flop a tiller up out of the way when you're in the cockpit and have dinner. Uh, one more key to getting the Winvaden self-steering to work well is, and this is a tip that was handed over to me by uh, a gentleman from a boat called Sea Bear, was that when you're attaching the tiller or your wheel to the one vein self-steering, the lines need to be a tiny bit loose. They can't be bar tight. And that all is because of the friction, right? Friction is the enemy of these things. And if you really bear down hard on those lines that are attaching the self-steering to the steering mechanism to that are attaching the wind vane self-steering unit to your tiller or your wheel, that extra strain on the lines will produce a lot of drag on those pulleys. And drag equals bad self-steering. So just tight enough and it's one of those things right how far is too far but just snug not bar tight and the final thing with these wind vane self-steerings that you really need to watch out for is chafe on the lines the self-steering lines are really prone to chafe e even if they're just kissing a piece of bare fiberglass on on the the deck with the constant movement and some of the strains that are in them yeah, once those lines load up, they're going to be highly stressed, and if there's any kind of rubbing, they're rubbing 24-7. I mean, back, forth, back, forth, all day for days on end. So we wore through about three, could say four sets of self-steering lines, and that's usually relatively small diameter double braid line. Nowadays, Dyneema or Spectral line, same thing really, is really low stretch and also very very slippery and less prone to chafe than, than the type of line we were using I would suggest just getting plenty of it uh, because by the end when we got to New Zealand we had line that had been broken and retied and rejiggered so that the knots were retied it weren't getting into any of the blocks yeah the stuff does chafe through we we really we didn't we had a very nice system but it only touched on one place on either side of the boat but that small amount of touching and rubbing, and it was just a function of the way the cabin uh, was on that boat. Really was no way around it. We didn't have any extra places to put locks to, to rear out the line. But that little bit of touching wore through lines and and they'll wear through with the pulleys too. So yeah, routing everything with a nice clean run is really important and having spare lines is important too. So the tiller worked beautifully for the wind vane self-steering. Uh, now the monitor, I will say, you know, most of your sailing, if you're going to do, you know, you're looking towards the circumnavigation or just some long distance sailing in the South Pacific, which is what we did, you would want to sail a little bit with a reef in the mainsail. Now, if you're racing in 15, 20 knots of breeze, there's no way in the world you're going to put a reef in the mainsail. It's just simply not what you would do you need you want the power to go as fast as you can but when you're cruising and you're in the trades and you're consistently in 15 to 25 knots of breeze going pushing you in the direction you more or less want to go putting in a reef doesn't really slow you down considerably especially in those downwind configurations uh you know a full main and a, a full genoa you know the, the main blank is the genoa somewhat so you, arguably you're not losing as much as if you were say driving upwind or on a broad reach so and you're cruising anyway so does it does it really matter in the context of a you know 800 mile trip 
you know, a week at sea. It's again, you lose a few hours, even a day. It's not really that big of a deal. And once you reef that main, the boat, at least for us, the boat balanced considerably well under the wind vane self steering. You know, and that might also be a, a function of the main you got on your boat. If you've got a brand new, nice flat high-tech laminate sail or even a brand new next generation dacron sail like the the, the new nordac dacron sails you might not need to do this you might balance better because your sail's a little bit flatter and and you know we had a drafty older sail but that made us work that much better uh, another great configuration even if you didn't have the self-steering um one of the things i have not heard a lot of people talk about but we just happened to have on our boat they were with the boat when we came was a 135 on 140 Genoa and what used to be called an APS sail all-purpose spinnaker uh, sort of an earlier generation of an asymmetrical spinnaker a little bit of a different cut you know modern day asymmetricals are a little more advanced in terms of the way they're cut and what angles you can carry them at but anyway we had this uh, APS sail that was cut at exactly the same size as the Genoa that's just something kind of cool because what you can do then is in situations where you want to go dead downwind and usually you don't want to go dead downwind you want to sort of go on angles to the wind uh slightly just so both the sails stay filled but sometimes you do you sometimes you just find yourself in a situation where the island you want to be in is dead downwind and you know you can zigzag a little bit but what we found was kind of fun and useful was we winged out the Genoa by routing the Genoa sheet through the end of the main boom with the the main just completely furled on the boom, so no main at all. We used a line through the end of the main boom to hold out the Genoa, and then used the spinnaker pole to hold out the APS sail on the other side. So wing and wing, two two head sails, no main sail, and then that didn't even really need input from the wind vane because as one sail filled a little bit more than the other, it would swing the boat around and the other one would fill. So it was sort of a self-correcting sail configuration to keep you going dead downwind. And another situation where that's good is when it goes really light. You know, when you've got really light air and the main is blanketing the Genoa and nothing can stay up, having that APS sail and a Genoa not in the shadow of any main sail uh, worked a little bit better for us and, and kept the boat moving. And if you can't keep that Genoa up, you can just roll the Genoa up and just leave the APS sail up and it does its thing and kind of flaps a little bit. But hopefully you get through the doldrum fast enough and if it's really annoying and the boat's banging around, you just turn on the engine and charge the batteries for a couple hundred miles. So wind vanes, yeah, they're pretty great. And I recommend them highly. Uh, if you are a budget type sailor, the Ares wind vane is something that you can do for less money than a brand new monitor or Fleming or any of these other uh, wind pilot, all these different new highly expensive models. And if you do find yourself in that position where, and sometimes if you've bought an older boat, if you know if you bought an Allberg 35, uh, you know that's been around since 1970 something and anybody had any thought in their head that they might want to go cruising, you may well just find an old Aries strapped to the back of that boat or in, in the bottom of a locker somewhere and think, what the hell is this thing for? And not want to bother with it. But if you are doing any distance sailing, highly, highly advisable to pull that old thing out, clean her up, and, and try and give it a go. You need a bit of room for a wind vane self-steering. You don't want to have the wind shift 
and not realize it because obviously the thing the way the thing works is that it keeps you to a constant heading to the prevailing wind so if your wind shifts five degrees your wind vane is set to that the boat is going to follow that shift up now when you're in the trade winds and you've got thousands of miles to go or even hundreds, 100 miles to go, that doesn't matter that much. You know, as you're sailing along, you can check your course. You kind of notice if you've moved a little bit, you know, the breezes move a little bit and the boat's heading has changed a little bit. You just adjust the wind vane and you, it gets it gets you going where you need to go. That's not a problem when you've got a lot of sea room. When you don't have much sea room and you're going to run aground, that's probably a bad thing. So, yeah, if you have one of these things or you're thinking about getting one and you're having trouble with it, you can let us know. Uh, you know, you can email me at chesapeakeoffshoresailing at gmail.com. If you're going on sailing anarchy or something like that and you mention a wind vane, oh, my God, they'll jump all over you. They'll tell you they're the stupidest things in the world. Why in God's name would anybody put that contraption on the back of their boat? Just use an electronic autopilot, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, I get it. I get, you know, electronic autopilot's a lot cleaner. Those folks are more race-oriented. In a, in a big race, you probably don't want to drag a second blade behind the boat, but... Now, compared to an autopilot, wind vane self-steering uses no power. So this is a huge advantage, especially for the budget cruiser who might not have a generator or a vast array of solar panels or other power generation on the boat. Again, for cruisers, they're great. And... You know, electronic autopots are, are, are great too. I had two that I took with me when we left Panama Canal, headed for New Zealand. One was brand new, and one had been with the boat for probably 15 years. And the new one died within a day. Solid state electronics, nothing to fix. The thing was just dead. I, there's nothing you can do. The brain's dead, the brain's dead. The older one was actually a very old style circuit board, and we were able to get that thing working. But... The point of the matter is electronics can and do fail, and it's not a matter of if or when. If anybody's doing a big voyage, I would definitely say, and you, and you have a wind vane, I would definitely say get the electronic as well, even if it's a less expensive tiller pilot, or we, obviously we had a tiller or one of those binnacle-mounted, uh, like, a, like a Simrad or um, a, Ray, a Raymarine wheel pilot. But just expect those to crap out on you. You know, if you're gonna if you're going to go cheap, get a couple of them and hopefully one of them gets where you need to go because hand steering sucks when you're going a long long way and it's just you and your girlfriend or wife uh, or just yourself so anyway that's a little bit on wind vane self-steering well maybe we'll talk more about cruising you know my focus these days i haven't been a cruiser for i don't know eight nine years but most of my focus these days is offshore racing but I do love the cruising life. That's how I got into sailing in the first place. So maybe we'll do a little bit of, uh, you know, how to go cruising and good ideas for cruising, bad ideas, etc. Again, this is Brian from Chesapeake Offshore Sailing Services. I also want to let you all know that we have uh, some new capabilities coming up. This is kind of exciting for us. So we've added the capacity for fiberglass painting and varnish work. So all grip any of your insurance works, you know, any damage that you have to the boat that requires some fiberglass repairs and a repaint, we can take care of. Chesapeake Offshore Sailing Services is pretty quickly becoming a one-stop shop in Annapolis for any type of speed enhancement, training, or boat repair. Again, you can reach us at www.chesapeakeoffshoresailingservices.com or 
chesapeakeoffshoresailing at gmail.com. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you on the water.